Welcome, welcome, welcome to I Am Perspective Radio Show. I'm your host, Rel Whitfield, and I'm with my host... Nasi Alam. My host. I'm the host, <laughs> and with my host. And we are the co-founders of I Am Perspective Radio. Um, and we are here today uh, with episode three, Desi Women for the People. And we have some special guests with us today. Yeah, I'm gonna... I want to hear like cheers when you say that. Like you can't say just like Desi Women for the People. You should be like, ah! <laughs> right. Be in the background with it. Do it. Yes. <laughs> um. So before we actually go into introductions. Um, I do want to actually bring up what Desi is because I think a lot of people, even as we posted this topic, did not know what Desi meant. They were like, okay, what is that? So, um, Desi is people who originate from the South Asian um, continent, specifically countries of India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh. And there are a few other countries that may be a part of that, but those are the major countries um so that's clarifying that for anyone who really just wanted to know what that word was before we got into anything else don't feel bad about yourself i didn't know <laughs> and nuzzy was my friend for 20 years so don't don't feel bad that's a very real thing so we're going to turn it over to our special guest and we're gonna tell us your name Right, we want you to be able to pronounce it properly. So even before this show started, we were actually just sitting here, kind of practicing it a little bit. And I know how I am with people pronouncing my name properly. So I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves properly. Tell us a little bit about yourselves as well, and any one of you can start. Yeah. Um, hi everyone. My name is Sarika Kumar. Um, you can ask me. Um, multiple th- I always invite people to ask me, oh, how do you say your name, rather than like be like, oh, how do you say it? So, uh, Sarika. Um, I was born in Queens very early on, moved out to Long Island. Um, I guess I'll speak a little about that later on, hopefully. Um, but that, a lot of that has informed, I guess, who I am today. Um, my background is Punjabi Sikh. Um, I work primarily in gender and racial justice organizing, um, starting off with a lot of youth organizing, working with young people across the city, um, trying to change um, their neighborhoods and what they see for themselves and their visions. And right now I'm doing a lot of reproductive justice organizing. Amazing. Thank you. Excellent, excellent. Um, thank you. Yeah. It's good to meet you. Yeah. Um, my name is Kajal Shah. I'm the same way with my name. From very young, I was like, I don't have a nickname, but you can ask me a hundred times to repeat it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think names are important. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a Queens girl, so we like yeah. oh, an official <laughs> Queens girl <laughs> here today. Yeah. So born and raised in Queens, um, first generation American born. Mm-hmm. My parents are from Gujarat, India. They came to the States over 40 years ago, um, like 45 years ago and migrated to, immigrated to Boston first, and then came to New York City before I was born, which I'm grateful for. Right. Difference right. me and my brother have. Right. <laughs> um, so, what else? Um, now, I know I know. Nussie gave the definition of Desi. Uh-huh. Have you always identified as Desi's or Desi American? Yeah. Um, or do you, or? Yeah. So I definitely identify as Indian, and then yes, a part of the Desis. Right. Um, because I was born and raised in New York, yeah. I had a little disconnect with India for a long time, but we grew up with a lot of traditions in our homes. So I was always very clear 
that I'm Indian mm -hmm. and that I was born here. Um, from young, we would go visit India like every five years. So I got to see my, I have, I have and had a lot of family in India. All my cousins were there growing up, so. Um, but yeah, I'll pass it on to you. Yeah. I would say, and I don't know, it might be like generational too. I feel like I didn't use Desi that much. Um, and I think regionally, so like Punjabis are like very hardcore. They're like, we're Punjabi. They're like, I think that ethnic and that regional tie is really strong. Um, so I've primarily always like call myself Punjabi, um, which is a state in Northern India. Okay. And Desi, I have seen it though used a lot to like bring together South Asians. And then of course there's always a critique of like, um, and I think um, Nasi, as you mentioned, not every country amongst the South Asian diaspora is a part of the Desi term. So then people are like, well, I'm not Desi because I'm like from this, this country or I'm from this region. Mm -hmm. So always like, ch I think language also changes over time. So right. seeing like shifts where people are saying, right. I'm connected to South Asian histories or trying to figure out like, how do you call this group of people from so yeah. many different places? And Desi is a very, well, it's a term that was probably invented in the Western, whether it was in, England or America, I'm not even sure, to be honest. But um, the reason it is, I don't really go around calling myself Desi either. I'm Bengali-American. I consider myself Bengali. But in a broader sense of terms, that's the easiest way to really identify us, I think, mm -hmm. that I've heard. Sometimes South Asian can be also misinterpreted to be meaning other countries that don't necessarily represent me or where I'm from. Um, before I Am Perspective, I actually was a blogger, and the blog that I created was ABCD Files. ABCD standing for American Born Confused Desi. And the reason, um, well, the purpose of that blog really was sharing my perspective as someone that was born and raised here and dealing with a cultural clash, right? So even in figuring out what terms that we classify ourselves as was a whole thing. I'm like, what is it? What do I classify myself as, right? So, um, And that goes into yeah. identity and belonging. Mm -hmm. We have a, our next event at the end of the month at Civic Hall uh, is about identity and belonging. And I, a lot of our conversations about perspective are like, well, how do you identify? You know, I just mm -hmm. heard of three, four different versions. And I, I speak... Uh, I speak as a black man mm -hmm. from, for again for myself on this show, but from what I know from our culture, this is what I what I knew within our culture. We do all this sub stuff, and you're black but not black, and you're you know, and to understand that that's a identity thing. We're all like, what part of Desi do we belong to, or do we are we Indian, or mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting to see that from my standpoint. And we're <laughs> like only this having is this conversation because worldwide thing. A lot of people are looking at us and they don't see the difference. Mm. Right. So um, even having this conversation of like that, there are differences, even with three of us sitting in this room right now, a lot of people can walk into the room like, oh, there's a difference. I didn't know. And it's differences of um, the language that we speak, the religion that we follow. Right. There are some shared like cultural, maybe some things that are similar. We like to wear red as brides, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a thing? I don't know. Um, Right. Um, <laughs> um, so, in terms of identity and belonging, and why we have you guys here today, 
as Desi Americans, or however you specifically identify, um, what role do you think you have in America and in the justice system and the fight for rights? Let's get straight into it and while we're here today. question yeah. <laughs> it's um, the question yeah and I, I was actually still like thinking through the identity piece and how much of that has then like shaped who I am and the work mm-hmm. that I do mm-hmm. or I'm connected to because I don't always feel like it's work that I do but it's like part of me and my duty for being here and like mm-hmm. understanding and knowing mm-hmm. so even when I think about identity it's like what are all the things that make me right like being a first generation mm-hmm. American born person, being a New Yorker, being into hip hop, really being connected my whole life to black community and lesser to the Desi Indian Guju mm-hmm. Gujarati community mm-hmm. that as I got older really was like, hey, I know this is a really big part of me as well. So let me understand it all. Um, so for me, it was just like, How did I grow up? My parents are really compassionate, empathetic, open people that have always allowed my brother and I to like explore and be who we wanted to be and who who we are, Mm -hmm. which then led me to like my own journeys of exploration and kind of like, what is this world that we live in, you know? And so I remember key moments growing up around language used when we were in spaces with other Indian folks Mm -hmm. primarily. And it was like, we don't use those words, right? Like Galia for, to refer to a black person. It's like, no, we don't use that language in our home Mm -hmm. and we don't, you know, and then all the way up to like, yeah. So for me, it's like, how did, how was I raised? And then how do I view the world? And so there, I have definitely key moments Mm -hmm. in my journey where I'm like, oh, this is when I started to build my political analysis. This is when I started to really become aware of the systems that Mm -hmm. are in place that keep us all in this social construct of identity, right? right? And so then it was like, okay, if I understand this, then what's my role in then shifting that? And um, yeah, so I don't know, I, yeah, I'll stop there and then pass (laughs) it on. Yeah, Yeah, because I was like, did I answer the question about role? But I think I'm getting there, yeah. Um, thanks for giving me time to think. <laughs> um, but I think similarly on upbringing, um, so I grew up primarily in Long Island. Um, my family moved to predominantly upper middle class neighborhood, majority white. Now it's like probably 50% Asian. And I think growing up in Long Island and also having cousins who lived in Queens, seeing both like the racial differences, mm-hmm. class differences, um, like woke me up at a really young age and also had my cousin telling me everything about myself at a very young age um but now i can say i'm grateful for them for um kind of helping me be who i am and so you know a very clear distinction that people often make in long island is that you have like um one of my best friends and who's an organizer says there are the hempsteads and the garden cities and hempstead (laughs) being primarily black and brown garden city uh street down um just drive down the street and it's majority white um, and then you look into public schools, different, like funding's different, policing's different. And this is where, like, these are the neighborhoods around me. And so being someone who grew up in a very, like, sheltered space within that, um, and especially being South Asian and how, like, Asian identity often is used as, like, a wedge between, um, between amongst, like, either, like, people of color, uh, especially in, like, non-black POC, 
um, the idea of the model minority of like, oh, like Asians are successful. Um, I think a lot of that was coming to me. I just didn't have the words for it. So it was really like um, having access to school and like learning, being in community with other um, both Asians, um, black mm -hmm. folks, brown folks, like across the spectrum to learn like what is it? Um, and I don't think until I got the words to describe it, otherwise you're just in it, you're, you're witnessing it, um, but then you don't have the tools to like try to actively right, right. address it or challenge it. So yeah. I feel like that's where I'm at right now and trying to guide more, especially like South Asians um, who might have similar or not similar backgrounds as me mm -hmm. to get to that point too of what moving beyond, I guess, like allyship into like mm -hmm. what does solidarity and what does um, all the new words that they talk about, like comradeship yeah. and all this. But like, what does it mean absolutely. to like, you know, really be a disruptor rather than like complacent mm -hmm. in the system? But. I think um, an important thing that came up for both of you and it also comes up for me is how we were raised, right? Even and where? Being, huh? And where? And where, yeah. right? Um, because we could have had very significantly different experiences than other South Asian people, Desi people, right? I was also in a household where you couldn't say words like that against like black people or about anyone really, right? My dad was um, an activist and a freedom fighter himself. So I grew up in that kind of household. So I'm like, I wouldn't understand anything. Like I remember um, when I was 13 years old, we had someone staying with us and he he was saying something I, I honestly i don't remember anymore what he said right but i remember i'm like no you can't say that you can't say that stuff in my house right and ended up like essentially like i'm 13 kicking him out the house like i had the right to do that so like um but i remember my this person was paying rent or essentially they're supposed to be paying rent right and I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, my dad's going to be so mad at me when he comes and he finds out what just happened. But he actually came home, and he was just, like, just so quiet about it. Even though what I found out later on, he lost, like, $10,000. Like, this person never just paid because they were so, like, offended that, like, I had this conversation with them. But I was able to have that kind of conversation. I don't think that's something that would have passed in any household, right? Because, as we know, we obviously have people in our community that we need to have certain kind of conversations with so they can come from a different kind of understanding. Right. Um, I, I hear definitely want to hear the New York of it all, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I didn't know that there were other cultures in other parts of the state. So I, I really sound ignorant when I think about mm -hmm. my youth growing up as a real New Yorker. I was like, well, they got black people here, they got Indian people here. Uh, so I know now that there were other uh, or there were Indian people, there were Bengalis in other states, but do you think it's also a New York-specific thing? Because, you know, I hear Long Island, Queens, and we're talking mm -hmm. about, like, Queens, there's no other place like Queens in the world where you have these many cultures that are all together, you know? Um, I hear that that unique experience. I wonder what that looks like. So that's why we're definitely interested in having powerful people like yourselves up here because uh, I don't know if everybody gets that feel. I, I think there's a justice tone. So, you know, I do have a question underneath this, but like, I, I feel like there's a justice ring around in different cities and so forth. And not that New York is the only place that does justice, but this unique melting pot. 
Um, so, well, like, what is justice to you? You know, I know that sounds like loaded, right? You know, but in the sense of why you started doing what you're doing, you know, like, what is that ring of justice? I'm, I'm mending it with what you got from your New York experience as well, like the uniqueness yeah. of how you grew up in Queens and the Long Island. Like, then what really drove you to, like, I'm, I'm banging for justice? Um, I can start. I feel like you just said so much. You said so much, and um, it's all really good. And I'm like, oh, how do I respond to it all? You know? So, just starting from a New Yorker perspective. So, for me, um, I think there's like, I've I've always felt resistance in my Mm -hmm. spirit around what is unjust, Mm -hmm. right? And what is, is not right. And so, I definitely think. New York, and I'm so grateful to be a New Yorker for a lot of reasons. Um, I'm also so I'm also clear that it has skewed my perception of what the rest of the world looks like, especially this country. Right mm-hmm. when I moved to DC for a while, I was like, oh, yeah, people are just really being nice in New York yeah, in some yeah. ways, right? right? And 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 this is what it really looks like in the rest of the country mm-hmm. when we talk about racism, classism, sexism, all the like homophobia, transphobia, all of the mm-hmm. things, you know? And so what I know is that, like, I think for me, no matter where I am in the world or would have been in the world, there I would have been a f- freedom justice fighter. I feel like it's in my spirit, my ancestors, as I've gotten to, like, know more about my people. Like, my specific lineage has always mm-hmm. been in resistance mm-hmm. while being in India mm-hmm. under, like, British, right? Like, there's all the history behind that kind of stuff, and then how they've also showed up within conflict mm-hmm. around Hindu-Muslim conflict, and who my people were in mm-hmm. India at that time, making choices around where they were going to stand, mm-hmm. right? And so, I'm grateful for my New York experience because it's like, yeah, I did really grow up with a lot of Black folks, and I'm I've been in community with folk. I love hip hop, right? That's definitely a New York thing growing up in the 90s, right? I just turned 41, so it's like, yeah, that was the time that I was growing up in New York City, and I'm grateful for that experience. Um, It's definitely shaped my analysis and the kind of work that I do. I do a lot, I have done a lot of anti-police violence work, Mm -hmm. even in my, you know, just like for a long time, because it's like I grew up in New York City in the 90s. I mean, not that it's, it looks different now, yeah, but right, stop totally. and frisk and all the things have been around for a long time. So I think for me, it's like always been in my spirit. Um, and yeah. Yeah. New York you say it, it doesn't, doesn't matter where I'd be. <laughs> You'd be fighting. I, I get that. Yeah. I get that feel as well. You yeah. know? I know New York specifically shaped me, but I, anywhere I would have been, I felt like I would have been banging for something. Coconuts on the island. I am. I'm biased because I've only lived in New York, so I can't speak of anywhere else. Um, but I also think, like, coming from a Sikh background, so like, Sikh is the faith that I like would mostly identify with. Um, I think there's a long history of resistance there too. Um, one that I was not really told, but I think there is something about like maybe it's ancestral like passing of like this is what your people did. Um, but I know even recently when I was able to go back to Punjab and learning of like an uncle who had like died because of the British or um, like that there was a house of worship that was like attacked because of like 
interfaith conflicts. Like, that history is living and is right there. Um, so I'm like, oh, maybe it's not surprising that this is the path that I chose. Um, but I think early on, it was actually, like, post-9-11, like, I was very young. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of people would be like, oh, you're too young to remember. Um, I was in second grade for context. Um, but that was something. <laughs> I'm like, I was in high, I was senior of high school. I was like, like that was, was my mean? first year of grad school. Yeah. <laughs> so the, I was alive. <laughs> um, I feel like that, and depending on like how old you were, where you were, yeah. I feel like that's also something that really affected a lot of New Yorkers. Um, and then being like Sikh, Punjabi, like, and in Long Island, like, I don't think my the communities I was in were not of target. Like I think Queens was more, especially like working class South Asian communities mm -hmm. were definitely more targeted. Um, but I still remember that fear and I still remember like growing up very much like my grandfather wore a turban and being ashamed of him wearing a turban. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think for me a long times I was like the media and like the government was telling me this is who is the enemy. And that enemy also looking very much like who my grandfather was, mm -hmm. even though that's you know, and a lot of these messages that were used, again, to put people against each other, um, where it was like, oh, like, why did I look at my grandfather's turban and be like, oh, some people see this as a threat, um, when the things are much bigger, right? And so I think when I think of justice, maybe that's where I started from, of being like, why should a little kid be fearful? And mm -hmm. I think um, fear looks so different in, based on so many identities in so many communities, but I think that's usually like, I don't know, the machine that's trying to like make people, right? Um, suppress the masses or what do you want to say? But I feel like a lot of it comes from like fear and like how fear can also immobilize you and immobilize communities and just seeing how people, even with fear, move. And so yeah. I think that's, I don't want to think of justice. So I think a lot of people, when it, a lot of people are provoked by some sort of injustice, um, and that usually ignites them to action. What, so a lot of South Asian people or Muslim people or Sikh people who have been dealing with some sort of um, backlash, they could go and just fight for themselves, right? There's a lot of people who are just looking to do, you know, to get South Asian rights or really just to get recognition for their own communities. What would make you fight for other people besides yourself? <laughs> I love it. Y'all have like a, a, a team. I know, I feel like we're reading each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sh okay. Why fight for other people? Um, I, hmm. I, I guess there's just no other way. Um, I really think like People, like, we're, we've, been tr we've been separated, or, like, people, especially when you think of... And organizing's hard, right? Like, I think there's so many... Organizers experience so many threats daily. If you're on the front lines, it's, like, a very... Um, I think it's a, still a different reality than being someone who is able to amplify or support um, particularly, like, directly impacted communities. And so I see, like, the position that I have, whether it's, like, um, I have, like, either privilege in... Um, whether it's like having a job with benefits or whatnot, um, to be able to use that and what does it look like to work um, alongside with directly impacted communities. Never to like speak for or on behalf of, um, but that there, there needs to be like resource mobilizing. Um, like people need to be funded. People are either like connecting folks. So um, I feel like there is a place for everyone in the, in the either the social justice 
like diagram or what your role is um and in terms of just I don't know I feel like I have been able I'm I've been able to be where I am today because of so many like black and brown women like that's like that's who I give my credit to mm -hmm. um and that's who I build with and so I don't really see um other ways of moving forward without everyone and I think um there's so many like feminists and um you like read all the theories but also like the instagram posts but people right um but like what does solidarity mean what does like your liberation being connected i think angela davis often talks about that so um and even just like when you're thinking like who are the role models right is your role model like if you're only been shown like a certain type of role model and then there's like a whole host of like whether it's like queer role models um black women who are like activists or um, like Mexican artists, right? right? Like who are your, or even South Asian role models? Like that's always a question mark because they're not that many. I mm -hmm. often feel like, yeah. um, so that I've also looked towards other identities as role models, um, and it's just my way of like building and giving back. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. But I, I'm finding role models right now, so this is nice. <laughs> yeah. Um. All right, where do I go? So, oh, I I, no, 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 no. I love no, it. Like, you said so much. And I'm like, okay, how do I build off of that? What do See, I? Wait, hold on, let me get it. Yeah, I, yeah, exactly. I was like, ditto, ditto, like, kind of check marking. Like, yes, yes. Um, so, some of it for me was like rooted in personal experience. And, um, and it was like, then started like connecting the dots. Like, I remember the first time that I had a police officer pull a gun to my head, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and it wasn't the last, yeah. right? And then I remember being in my first year of college and figuring out like, where do I, where's like space that I belong mm -hmm. in? And actually um, very gratefully, you know, going to the Student Liberation Action Movement, which mm -hmm. was SLAM in the student government at the time, mm -hmm. looking for a friend. Um, and then like really started my political like work there and really organizing and understanding. So I was given a book by Kai Barrow, who I love, and is a black woman that I consider a mentor. Um, she handed me Asada's autobiography and she was like, hey, read this and then come talk to me after it. And I literally like read it overnight. And then there started to be understanding of like, oh, this happened to me or my, I was with someone for seven years that's Haitian American and grew up in Bushwick, Brooklyn, right? So I was like the Queens girl and Brooklyn dude and like he was ha he's a DJ and he was having a love affair. And it was like, and it was like, oh, right? What's happening to you in Brooklyn that my people are not experiencing or that I'm not experiencing? Right. But then I started experiencing, right, personally when like maybe like where, where I was or who I was with was shifting. Um, even though I had seen some of it, it was, mm -hmm. right? And then um, I read Asada's book and then it was like, okay, these systems, right? And then mm -hmm. this is happening to me locally and personally, but this is actually not an individual experience. Mm -hmm. This is happening like all the time. And yeah. then like connecting with people from the Bay Area and then hearing, oh, like somebody got killed by the police there. And then it's like, mm -hmm. oh, this is like, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, some of it was personal experience and then a lot of my work was rooted in anti-police violence work from the beginning, um, which historically has been rooted in anti-blackness. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about who am I fighting for or with, I'm fighting white supremacy all the time and in all the ways that shows yeah. up in us, right? Like how we are, what is, what is like <clears throat> actually like 
it's all around us so how does it show up in our own ways of being mm-hmm. so when you talked about like feeling embarrassed right i've mm-hmm. had those feelings mm-hmm. too of being indian and having to explain to people like well where is india do y'all have cars there right like there was there used to be embarrassment mm-hmm. over that and that shifted over time like wait I actually love this part of me. I actually love that this makes mm-hmm. me who I am, yeah. that it makes me dynamic, mm-hmm. right? That it allows me to have different perspectives and experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it's like a bigger fight. Like I'm clear that that globally anti-blackness and mm-hmm. white supremacy mm-hmm. are like what's leading so many injustices and mm-hmm. what we're facing. And so for me, it's like, where am I needed and wanted? Where do I have impact? How, where am I impacted? Um, yeah, and then where do I feel held, right? Mm-hmm. Where are the communities that actually hold me? And that's something newer for me because it was like always a fight. And then a few years back, which folks know, is like, wait, hold up. Like, mm-hmm. I need to do this work out of love for my people mm-hmm. and for black people and for justice versus in being in reaction to Mm -hmm. because like this is going to eat my soul up and I still get to experience joy in this work Mm -hmm. and so then it was like okay these are these are my like political views this is how I move this is the work that I feel most connected to and where are the communities that hold me where are the Mm -hmm. communities that support me in building Mm -hmm. like further my political analysis or my understanding of like what's going on that I don't personally experience um so speaking so, of yeah. communities that hold you and that you belong to, right? So this is also something, um, first of all, you saying that you get to find peace in the work. That's something that I obviously, I definitely can agree with you on, right? Even in choosing to do this work, we've also had to do some personal work for ourselves and what that looks like. Because as you're doing work for other people, you also have to really take care of yourself or it's just not going to work. Um in terms of belonging in communities, I've also, I think, there's a misconception. There's a lot of South Asians and Desis that live in New York now, but my experience growing up, that was not the case, and maybe that was the same for you as well. Um, and so I've always had to also, like, where do I belong? Where Where do my loyalties or whatever where do I go right like what does that look like and um just a little quick story so in the fourth grade I was in a class and I was the only non-black girl I was a Bengali girl and we were doing a performance for I think it was for African History Month it was some sort of performance and you know everyone's getting dressed up and we're all gonna dance and my teacher she was also black right and she told me the day before, she's like, you know, you can actually just wear your own outfit. You don't have to wear what everybody else is wearing. You can do the same dance. And I remember thinking, like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, that makes sense, right? And, like, being able to do the same dance. And I would have worn the outfit, by the way. Like, I would have been like, yeah, sure, this is what we're all doing, right? But in that moment, her recognizing that I get to, one, represent my own culture, right, that was able to give me something, like, I could be a part of the community, but I'm also, I recognize that I am different, right? And that I have a difference and a different understanding and a different perspective. Um, with that being said, I do believe having that different perspective and that difference, it allows me some privileges that um, black people may not have, right? So just kind of 
you know, one of the things that we like to do here at I Am Perspective is really just kind of recognize there are privileges in all communities, right? So, you know, Sherelle has privileges, I have privileges, we all have privileges. So in the fight for all, for, for the people, what does it look like to have the special privileges as we do as Daisy Americans, where sometimes we're known as the model minorities, or, you know, we have, we might be more light-skinned or whatever that is, we might be able to fit in certain places. So how has that shown up for you in doing this work? I can take it. I can take it. It was also I, was I, wanted, like, uh, I wanted to build off of what you mentioned. Because yeah. um, in thinking also of the privileges, like um, white supremacy really functions to make like to have an individualized society. So like people are not really caring for each other. It's like to each their own. Mm -hmm. um, and so the work you're doing, right? Like that. Even as being communities, that's a resistance, right? That you're going to care for each other. Um, that it's not about like turning right your face when something is happening. Um, so that like being like building power in community, I just feel like is always resisting like white supremacy um, and like what we're being told. But yeah, the privilege is so I could go on about yeah. this. <laughs> I was um, like, Ugh. <laughs> but I think so. Like for me, it's always been um, like I acknowledging and identifying my own privileges. Um, I would say like being like light-skinned and, and racially ambiguous often mm -hmm. um, has like often made me not the target even amongst like darker-skinned South Asians. Um, and then when you even then parallel that to what it looks like targeting surveillance of like black and Latinx communities, like um, where I stand is often um, either, what's the word, my proximity to whiteness, right? Like has given me privileges that a lot of other members, yes. Um, and so, again, that's like, what do I do with that then, right? It's like, I think some people might just be like, I think people get identity crisis from like, oh, well, I'm not brown enough or I'm not this enough. Um, but what I learned, it's not about saying that you're not enough, but it's like, okay, I understand that and how do I use that? Mm -hmm. um, and so that often has been, even in workspaces, um, trying to shift the power dynamic, right? When it's between, especially like a white colleague and maybe a black colleague, um, and knowing that I'm actually going to be listened to more yeah. just based on how I look, mm -hmm. and that that sucks. But then it's also like, um, like where not that where my alliance is, but like now how do I make sure that um, one that my other colleagues are like the mic is being passed, that if she's not being heard, that um, I'm able to use my position to. Mm -hmm like say something or, ch or change that. Um, so that's how I often seen myself in a lot of spaces. Um, also for like, especially in the South Asian community, I feel like caste often doesn't come up a lot. Mm -hmm. um, so especially around when we're thinking of like casteism as like another layer to like how Hindu nationalism functions as like white supremacy here. Uh, but Hindu nationalism, especially across, across India. So that's another layer of work because I think caste gets looks different sometimes, especially through migration here, um, because being upper caste doesn't necessarily mean you are living a certain way of life that people do mm -hmm. um, in their homelands of having like access to resources and whatnot. Um, but that caste also is like a, it's power, uh, yeah. it comes with power. So it's, that's some of the work that I've also been, what does it look like to support, especially um, Dalit women who are doing work to, especially anti-caste work. Um, and especially a lot of the stuff happening in India right now with like the registry and mm -hmm. certain bills that are like really pushing in the agenda that seem very parallel to like 
what the U.S. is also trying to do. So, um, but yeah, so much. Yeah. That's one of the things about perspective of these conversations <laughs> yeah. is that once you start, it can really lead into so many different things to talk about. Right? Our usually doesn't cut it. Yeah, <laughs> we'll have a part two, and then you could bring other dope Daisy women. Yeah. On. Um, you said so much, and it was like all dope. I was like, yes, yes. Um, what I connected to when you first started talking was about like resource shifting. So mm -hmm. I also think about privilege and all the ways that show up so i'm clear that i have a master's degree that's a privilege right mm -hmm. academia um that we grew up not having a lot but that we had like we had a house like an apartment mm -hmm. we had a car right there were certain understandings about that maybe it looked different amongst other family members but i'm clear on how we grew up like we always had um but then i also think about so when i think about like What's our role in that in using our privilege? I think there's a range of ways, but it's mm -hmm. like what you talked about, like where where is my voice gonna matter and forward someone yeah. and like mm -hmm. support someone? Where am I actually taking stands? And then literally from like the smallest things, like and not maybe not small, right? Mm -hmm. But I just taught a class at Adelphi last semester. It was my first time teaching in academia, and it was like oh, the, all these like little privileges popped up, mm -hmm. like unlimited access to New York Times articles mm -hmm. or Canva or you can watch these like free videos on this thing and it was like s small like hey who needs a password mm -hmm. right to my people like one of my friends is in college she's an adult um, student right now and she's like every every month I only get three I'm like not anymore <laughs> right so it's literally from like small to then mm -hmm. big where when I when I um, was a was like in the right place, right time, right yeah. right conversation. And at 23, while I was in grad school, got put in a position to be a program officer mm -hmm. of a foundation. And it was a newer place mm -hmm. and the executive director really trusted me and was like, hey, you're doing this organizing work. We need to grant mm -hmm. youth-based organizing groups. Like, like, do you know folks? It was like, I hit the ground running, like, yes, mm -hmm. I do know folks, yeah. right? And then it was like a real commitment to like making sure that organizations that are really like, mm -hmm. at that time, putting black youth at the forefront in New York City, right? Where, who are like really the groups that are doing the work mm -hmm. on the ground, get mm -hmm. the resources. So for me, it's always like, in what position am I in? What mm -hmm. privileges do I have and acknowledge and actually understand how to use, right? Because I think some of that is unfolding as I, as I live my right. life, it's like oh, this U U.S. passport, mm. right? In a lot mm. of ways, is a privilege. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand that until my very like early thirties, right? Yeah. In a way that was like oh, I didn't realize that in this way, mm -hmm. right? Those mm -hmm. kinds of privileges as they unfold for me, I'm like okay, now now, what is in my capacity and what is like, what can I do to shift that or use that to to better right or yeah. you know that kind of thing so well i want to take this because we're, we're we are winding down in our episode right mm -hmm. and we just spoke on privileges no no i, <laughs> no. I know you i know we said well, we're gonna I, take a break was, like, yeah. <laughs> you know like, oh, all right now we gotta close this up. i wanted to take that in and <laughs> so we were speaking on perspectives mm -hmm. oh actually what i was hearing is from the three of you are perspectives, right? That you grew up in um, in certain neighborhoods, you grew up around in certain households within your own cultures, right? Mm -hmm. Because now you talk about the rest of the culture that you know, 
uh, as Nussie and I talk, she she speaks very highly of her family being uh, unique in the sense that they were very tolerant, you know. So then, I, as I'm hearing that, and I, I really applaud you all for doing the work. You know, I think you would, like you said, you'd be doing it for your folks or for whoever, but to do it for justice, which inevitably means other people and black and brown folks specifically, I think that needs to be commended. I'm at my question to either anybody is how do you how do you get other people who look like you in your culture to be as inspired? Like what is the what is the what makes you different from the rest of the people I'll actually go first. Yeah. Right? So you know we've been doing I am perspective now for a little over two years. And this is the first time I actually, we had a basic perspective of any kind. And a lot of that has been because getting basic people in the room has been difficult. So, right, to have that kind of conversation, you got to have the right people in the room representing. And so without that, it's kind of difficult to do that, right? So, um, it's a, you know, it's a progress, right, I think. For us, we might just have to go into certain communities and we have to go to Queens. Um, we might have to find them where they are. They're probably not gonna wanna come out to the city. <laughs> um, but it's, I do see it shifting, right? I think there's sometimes certain conversations that what I personally believe, what we believe here at Iron Perspective is that when you shift the tone away from an argumentative mm -hmm. debate Right when you're actually really just looking to just share without like pushing your agenda on someone, it shifts something in people, and people are more willing to listen to you and be more open to it. Um, I believe that now that we're doing these radio shows and people have more access to listening to what we're doing, that they also realize that there, this can be a conversation. We don't always have to agree, right? Like maybe you know we may agree more than not tonight, but sometimes we might not, right? And we don't, you know. That's fine too, right? Like even as Daisy women, as Daisy women doing justice work, we might have different opinions and perspectives around different things. So that's why. Yeah. <laughs> you want me to go quick? Oh yeah, go for it. I, like, I can go quick. Um, I think for me, it's like so on a personal level. I think there's a lot of still learning that I'm doing mm -hmm. for myself around how South Asian folks, Gujaratis, Indian mm -hmm. folks, right? How national Hindu Hinduism, mm -hmm. right? I don't. <clears throat> identify as Hindu but my mm -hmm. mom does mm -hmm. and a lot of our family does and so mm -hmm. right there's a lot of learning and, and understanding for myself that's happening yeah. continuously which then allows me to connect to like on a real micro level my family mm -hmm. right so my brother's married to a black woman my nephews are are black young black men mm -hmm. um, Blindians black and Indians <laughs> right <laughs> and um <laughs> And so it's like, right, all the way on the micro level of like my mom who's super open but constantly having conversations with her, right, around like, oh, so your friend is trans or or the term they. Mm -hmm. It's like, hey, I have, it's like, hey, I'm going to introduce you to someone. They identify mm -hmm. as they. It's like, well, can you explain that to me? Mm -hmm. So I love my mom for that. I'm always grateful because that's how she is. That's what has made me me, right? And then also then it's like, like I was just in the Bay last weekend. And my cousin, who I love, is pregnant. Mm -hmm. And then it was like just having small conversations, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, yeah. those kinds of things. So for me on the micro level, it's a lot like, hey, what do you do? 
Like, some mm-hmm. of my family's like, what do you do? And then I'm like, oh, this is the work that I do. This is what it's rooted in. Mm-hmm. And I go back a lot to history and facts. Because yeah. it's like, mm-hmm. you can't argue this. Yeah, when you tell like, you can't, yeah. right. Like, you yeah. can't argue the mm-hmm. number of, like, black mm-hmm. people killed by the police, yeah, right? Sure. With no justice behind that, right? right? No accountability, right? There's mm-hmm. certain things that you can't argue. And mm-hmm. so, for me, that's been a place of, like, because I get very emotional. And I'm like, <laughs> but you, eh, eh, you know, and then I'm like, oh, wait. <laughs> I've really learned my mother used to be like you're angry a lot and it was like oh wait but like I don't want to be yeah. right and like that's what the world wants me to be because then like you said earlier like then it stops you from mm-hmm. like being the difference and the change it's like fear like mm-hmm. anger can really like be like mm. hope can lead to hopelessness yeah. right yeah. yeah so for me it's been like wait how do I shift this and then understand it but then how do I also just like root it in like no, this is what's happening, you know? And then I'm still, like, you know, connecting. Over the last um, five, seven years, I would say that I've been really growing my, like, South Asian, Desi women community particularly, and I'm really grateful for that mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And so then it's like, where do I fit in, you know? Like, so, yeah. Um, I connect to especially, like, working with family, too. Just, you know, either it's, like, changing language use um i feel like especially around like gender identity that's been a big conversation that like my mom my brother my cousins everyone's been like very supportive in like being open to the conversation and a lot of it um honestly has been like me posting things on facebook and i'm friends with my whole family on facebook which is like maybe good or bad but i think it's worked because they'll see something um, I had one auntie, she was like, you post so much about gender, like, is everything okay? <laughs> um, um, and it was really, and my that's mom was there, and my mom was there, and she was like, oh, but that's the work she does. And yeah. so to have her, like, affirm that, yeah. like, oh, but, you know, it's, this is, like, the work I do, even if it's, like, people say posting on Facebook, like, you know, that's just one thing, but, like, that's a lot where people get information, they get misinformation. Mm-hmm. So um, trying to, like, I try to flood the stream on Facebook. Um, and then having conversations, it's hard with family. I'm also the youngest of my whole generation, so that's always interesting. Cause people so one, like one though. step at a time, right? Yeah. I think um, even one of our, you know, so it's one conversation at mm-hmm. a time, right? Because we don't think we have the answer or the solution to fix everybody and everything, mm-hmm. but we do think we can shift, you know. What's one, what's one conversation yeah. if your family's yeah. never had a conversation, mm-hmm. you know? A lot of people ask mm-hmm. us, be like, yo, you know, what, what's after the talk? What's, I was like, what mm-hmm. happens with the talk? Yeah. What yeah. happens when we have the talk more than once? You know, let's just keep it here for a moment. I know we have the whole world to, to change, but, like, we need to have one conversation, yeah. one step. Yeah. With that being said, we are closing down. <sighs> um, so this is really an opportunity. Thank you guys really for joining us today and sharing openly. They're really, you know. You. This was awesome. You guys really went for it. You guys were able to really go there. So thank you. Um, let us know, you know, let the audience members know what you are currently working on, what support looks like for you, right? If you guys have any upcoming events or anything. Um, this is really your opportunity to let us know. So I know you guys are doing work for the people. What does the peop- What can the people do for you? 
Oh, that's sweet. Can the people do for me? Um, I'll go. So, actually, um, so I've been independent consulting for the last 10 years, mm-hmm. um, doing like organizational development and strategy work within movements and like nonprofit spaces. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking about shifting that like, mm-hmm. um, and really um, building, with, building with more community. Um, the independent life has been great, but sometimes it's a little isolating. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just throwing things out there. No kind of like real request for support. Mm-hmm. But if someone hears it and it's like, oh, this might be a good fit for you, send it. I'm also continuing some of um, building on some of the teaching that I did. So I just taught a class called the Sociology of Global Social Problems. And I really loved mm-hmm. it. And um, we'll be teaching it next semester. How again. can they contact you? Yeah. So... Uh, my email mm-hmm. is um, mskshah at gmail.com. So, Miss K Shaw. Okay. And um, IG? I'm the same on IG, MSK Shaw on IG. Um, so, yeah, just to wrap that up, like, I'm really looking at building curriculum mm-hmm. and more training. So, um, was with the I co-founded an organization called Train the Movement mm-hmm. while living in DC and that's something that I really want to build on that work political education and um yeah, yeah. cool um I'll be contacting yeah <laughs> um but one thing so I'm part of a giving project right now and it's with the North Star Fund that funds directly impacted communities who are organizing on the ground in New mm-hmm. York State and so my goal is 4000 so if you can help me there. I do have um, a fundraising link that's up, or I guess you could contact me at kumar.sarika, S-A-R-I-K-A, the number four, at gmail.com. Um, and I'm happy to talk more about that and how you can get involved, too. All right. Yeah. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for being on episode number three. It was Thanks wonderful. For